this is Mark Morin. You are listening to the 206.com podcast interview series, New Directions in Film. Today, I'm speaking with director Van Didabong. Van, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mark. I really appreciate you having me here. Absolutely. Now, your film, All Roads to Perla, was recently released on home video formats, you know, DVD, Blu-ray, on demand, and it seems to be receiving great reviews so far. So tell me about this film and where did the idea for this movie come from? Well, yeah, we're excited to finally get it out there. It's called All Roads to Perla. On, it's a, a crime drama set in Texas. It's about a, a high school uh, wrestler who gets mixed up with uh, this drifter and her lover, but uh, things take a squirrely turn when, once he uh, becomes her escort driver. To sum it up, really, it's about love and pain and the choices that we make. Sometimes they're not that great of choices, <laughs> but we have to live with them. <laughs> Yeah, so I think we've all been there. Maybe not to the extreme that he went through in this movie. But yeah, I think you're right. We've all made some choices that uh, maybe we look back and, and think maybe we could have made a different choice. Now, Perla, the title character, is played by Addison Timlin. And I thought she did a fantastic job in the movie. The range that she showed, and she really seemed to put everything into that role. So what did you see in her that made you think, this is Perla, and this is who I want to play this character? Sometimes the movie gods like smile at you and throw you a, a talent like that. And I don't want to sound cheesy, but Addison, you know, she's quite a um, artist and, and took the role seriously and put all these beautiful nuances to it that made it more layered. You know, the, these kind, kinds of roles, it's tricky because if, if not done correctly, it, it, it could fall flat and that, that, that wasn't the case. And when Addison came and brought what she had in that character, it, it came alive, you know, she, she, she layered it. it. It wasn't as cliche as, you know, this um, good-hearted prostitute or sex worker or anything like that. It was it's someone who was just had some trauma and was just trying to get through it the best that she can. And she brought a level of, I want to say, a level of uh, intimacy to that character that I really appreciated. One of the things I noticed about all the characters in the movie is, is kind of like what you're describing about Perla, is there wasn't any glamorization of any of the characters. They weren't, oh, this is this type of person, but they're like the best they could possibly be version of that person. Everybody was just, it just felt so real and authentic. Is that something that you really were mindful of in the writing process or did that come out through the work and in, in filming? Where, where did that come from? You know, it, that's a great question because I think it comes from like the overall vision that I've wanted to have. It's sort of like this world where it's dreamlike, but grounded in, in reality, grounded in, in this sense of um, realism. I, I wanted that feeling where when we're, you're about to fall asleep, have you ever done that? You hear someone in the <laughs> room, then your yeah. knee perks and you're like, whoa, what was that? Was that real or not? Right, but you right. felt it, it was so real, but it's had this like edge between reality and dream or even nightmare. So it, it was a bit of a conscious decision because it could be fable-like or biblical in a, a sense, but you wanted something that kind of hopefully touches people because it felt real, felt because we've got, all gone through sort of those longings to escape our situation, no matter how small or big. I think that's what I want to kind of explore. Even if it's just hopping over down the highway, it's versus going all the way over to Singapore or something like that. It's we have a destination in our head, and, and sometimes um, we don't know how to get there, but you, you try the best you can. 
Taking that a step further, each character seemed to have a very specific flaw about their humanity. Is that something that was really intentional that you said, I want this person to have to deal with this and I want this person to have to deal with that? Like how much like went into that part of it? I love like, I love writing and I love writing about, uh, I have themes in mind and one of the, besides the love, lust and loss kind of aspect, one of the themes that is central is like family. And um, we all, <laughs> I haven't met a perfect family yet and I'm <laughs> not in one as well. So it's yeah. like, uh, we all have these like major flaws, you know, and I think um, it's mask and other, other areas. And then what's interesting is when those flaws collide and how do we, who, gets to compromise, whose flaws are bigger, whose flaws wins, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. So with these uh, characters in mind, I think it was just, we're giving it the hands that are dealt. And then sometimes you don't need a full house to win the game. That's some of the, uh, you know, the mindset of some of the characters who just, you're just trying to survive. I think that's what happens. And so you use the flaws to your advantage, I think, if uh, that's the case on people who are just trying to survive. Right. No, that's very true. A lot of times people take what's perceived as a flaw and use that as a strength just for survival. You know, and that, that, re that, that really played out in a lot of these situations in the story. Now, this was your first feature film as a writer and as a director. So what were some of the challenges you faced in just getting this film made? Uh, yeah, that's a wonderful question. It's like, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm wearing this hat, but it's filled with lots of gray hairs. And, uh, but, uh, but, but each stage, whether it's from development to pre-production to financing, pre-production, production, post-distribution, they all have their own challenges. You know, it's like, I don't know what stage is best or worst. It's like, you just have to get through it. For it being my first one, I think that's how I got through because I was so naive and thinking, hey, you know, this is what's happened. If you, you knew, like, I'm just going to go walk down the block, but you didn't realize you had to go walk three states. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, okay, okay, this walk is a little longer than I thought. So that being naive, being a bit delusional, um, being um, all these kinds of things that kind of pushes you forward, or at least me, and just wanting to tell the story, wanting it to get out there, um, wanting it to be a thing that helped make a sustainable career. And, and those are the those are goals I set out for doing this. One day you wake up and you work each day and the next day, 10 years later, there, there you go, there it is. <laughs> Had filming completed before the pandemic started? It did, to yeah. Us? Okay. yeah. So did it have an impact on when and how it was gonna be released? It did. We, we, we were one of the few because we were going on the festival route and such prior to and then we were in the middle of it and when the pandemic came so i feel fortunate for for that i, I feel sorry for a lot of other filmmakers who had their film coming out this year or, and can't experience it in a theater or, or just even a small festival with their crew and cast and things like that. Yeah. But um, it affected us in terms of, we were slated for a, a limited theatrical release in LA and New York and things like that. But that's the, you know, in the grand scheme, it isn't that vital um, with what's going on um, in the world. And we're just fortunate to even get it released and, and right. get it out there in the world. So. I think I've taken that approach just ever since, uh, you know, <laughs> trying to push the script around. Anyone who 
who offers any little help or push along the way, I'm appreciative of. So um, just happy to be getting out and maybe two or three people could watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely was a change of mindset once everything started happening. So from a general sense, when we started first started hearing about the pandemic and things started shutting down, what was your thought process like as a filmmaker and also as, as just a human being? Like what was going through your head during that time? I think it, uh, as everyone goes through that and you're trying to process what's going on with, with the world and w with yourself and how you relate to that, it puts everything in, in perspective. I think we like, there's moments in time in your life where whether it's a birthday or a wedding or a funeral or these big events that somehow changes your life. Just like in movies, there's these twists, these plots, and it takes time. It allows you to reflect on, on on where you are and what you what path you're headed and, and um, you know what's important to you. And each everyone's answer is not wrong or right. It's just your answer. I think that's what I went through in determining of the course of personal life and professional life and how that co and coincides. And if <laughs> I always think about this in terms of like, you know, if I'm on my, this is a little bit morbid, but if I'm on my deathbed, what, what am I really gonna think about? And I try to do those things, you know. Filmmaking is so ego-driven. It's so like, <laughs> hey, I want my story. I want this and that. The filmmaking process is so collaborative. You know, it's so like you're playing and, and working with so many people that, that make the story so much better. Um, so it's this, this duality of like, I need this for myself and then I need this for others. But with the pandemic and stuff, it really goes, again, primal survival. What do we need? So those are the questions I think we all are trying to answer and still aren't answering. Yeah, you bring up a good point where just you yourself as a director, there's things that you want and need and, and then a lot of those things are not available. But it, there's also that trickle-down effect of the people that you would hire and, you know, just crew and people on set, the actors and everybody down the line. So it's, it's really something that you have to be mindful of is like, how does it affect every single person and how do we make sure everybody is taken care of? But I guess that's not really a question, but can you expand on that? Yeah, I think, you know, especially during this time, even with safety, health, and looking out for your neighbor, looking out for your coworkers, uh, that, that's vital, you know, what is important, you, and making sure we provide, you know, we directors always talk about trying to create a safe space for actors to perform and this and crew, and it's true. Even now, currently, we have to provide a safe space for each other and it, it i think what i've learned in this short time i don't know much but for me i think it's that understanding of being empathetic to other people's situation i think that that is the source of creativity and once you empathize how others feel then we all could try to create something in, in, together you know so yeah. i know i'm talking a little bit abstract but in terms of like the p pandemic and how we work and handle each other even the industry itself prior to everything's so wild wild west now streaming it's not uh, relying on DVDs as much as this could have all these things that could make you cynical and throughout the entire process. But if you love storytelling, if you love to create, then this virus isn't going to stop that. So, right. so I think you just kind of um, start with that and find folks who um, you could work with in, under those conditions.
going back a few months, you know, we're right in the middle of this pandemic, and then all of a sudden the protests begin, mm -hmm. and the entire world really takes a, another turn. You know, the George Floyd incident, and then it, everything expanded from there throughout the country, and even other other countries were organizing protests and doing their part as well. Now, what were your thoughts as the protests started to take shape? Because that really had more of a polarizing impact than even the, what the pandemic had. Yeah, I, I mean, it, just an emotional standpoint of things of, again, trying to, to digest those feelings and, the, and where you are in, in the world and what type of country you want to live in and, and the type of policies and government and equality that we all want. And to have the protests come, and, and especially um, during these times, it just shows you, you know, it's just sad. I think, you know, we're in 2020, you know, Black lives are just being treated in, in, in a certain way that, that we have to, as a nation, as a world, you know, come together and go, this isn't right. And I, I'm still each day as, you know, living here in Los Angeles, seeing the, the support, um, you know, maybe I feel, I like to understand more of the other side. So there's discourse and there's a connect and that's where I think that's where the next steps are is getting the policies, getting things done keep our voices heard. That's what we're doing as stories, storytellers, but you know, the protesters are raising their voice bigger than, than ever and anyone. I think that's so vital, you know, having the message come across. Now, do you feel that those two can and should cross over? I mean, as far as the art and the protests? I think, yeah. I think it all depends. Like, I'm sure there's going to be beautiful and powerful stories that come uh, about from this you know, for, for ages. You can also separate them. If you just want to do policy, if you just want to, you know, do service service and run for government or things like that, help your community volunteer. So I think that in itself is probably even just as important, if not more, you know. Um, so it's, it's a matter of just having your voice be heard from, from all aspects, you know, as an Asian American trying to figure your way out through this world um, in this country, you know, and having Black Lives Matter. And finally, we have a place where we can talk, and but we still need a lot of things done, you know, a lot of things. Now, you had mentioned uh, being part of the Asian community in Los Angeles. Now, from what I understand, you were born in Laos. And uh, then, yeah. and then, but basically, you've you know, lived most of your life here in the States. On a more personal level, how has all of this really impacted your thoughts and your mindset, you know, as, you know, just over these last few months? Oh, man, it's, it's like, uh, I'm a refugee from Laos. And, you know, you, you grew up in a country and you're trying to, assimilating for the rules. You go about and try and do the right things and then um, you get killed for that. That's just right. just completely awful, you know? Yeah. These kinds of things, um, the, the, the racism, the systemic racism through that, I'm still lost for words. I think that's why I try to write and tell stories and make films <laughs> because I, you know, it's, it's hard to sometimes put in the right translation to the pain and, that you feel and sorrow or you feel that you're you're helpless you know in a lot of ways you know so i think that's that's the feeling and but again when you see when you go out and you protest and peacefully protest and talk to others 
um, there's a community, you know, uh, there, there's, there's, you're not, you're not alone. And I think that's where, that's how this, the movement and, and the message will penetrate in the end. Uh, I think there will be great change. That's a really good point is community is so important, whether it's you being part of the Asian community, like we mentioned, the filmmaking community, your family, you know, you've talked about before, we all have family issues, but it is, it is in a sense, a community. So I, I think that's a really big part of how we get through all of this is who are we as a community? You know, what does it mean for me to be part of this? What does it mean for you to be part of this? Now, as a filmmaker specifically, do you feel that like, are you looking at how to how you're going to make movies differently now that all of this has happened? I, you know, I think in terms of of everything, because you have to, yeah, whether it's uh, people of color, women, marginalized communities, like retirement communities, all voices. You want to be part of a positive progression uh, of things. Uh, uh, you want to be whether whether that's telling s stories with uh, with other people, uh, where where that's creating um, different opportunities, where it's giving back. I remember growing up, and we had a lot of cousins and, and brothers and sisters, and I was always going to graduations. And there's always graduation <laughs> speeches, and I think at one graduation speech. Uh, I think it was my brother's college graduation and it might have been Hillary Clinton speaking and she was talking about the power of one and that stuck with me and even if you didn't think that anything could change or what you can do that power of yourself and one thing could lead a lot whether it's that you didn't think you can vote that your vote didn't matter or, or you know you didn't think if you opened the door for this person that comes in or you didn't you know that just one action and one positive thing could have a ripple effect and right. and hopefully we do that and, you know that's how we build a community and we don't always have to be in agreement and be uh, cordial otherwise i won't be wearing a dumb hat like this and glasses <laughs> we won't, don't want to be like the same person we, right, need right. Different, we, de we need different views and different opinions mm -hmm. you know that's what life is but with that under all that that means we just have to be respectful of each other and that's i think all we're trying to say sometimes is what do you have to do to earn this respect how many more times and things like that you know I, i'm sure a lot of artists out there and singers painters writers poets are really gonna investigate that i want to go back to the movie now all roads to perla which you know people are out there watching now i know it's a pretty intense drama you know action you know some thriller aspects to it while you were making the movie it's kind of a left turn here what would you say is the funniest thing that happened on set while making the movie oh, the funniest thing on set uh, <laughs> probably me just being there <laughs> you know it's like uh i think i have taken this kind of like road of going like holy cow you know i was just doing short films of friends and family before and then you, you turn around and all of a sudden there's craft services and <laughs> professional actors and, and these things. And, and the funniest thing is, if you probably would have just seen my expression, that, mm -hmm. you know, but you don't want to, what's that saying? Don't ever let them see you sweat. So right, basically right. you're like, okay. Uh, in the meantime, you're like huddled somewhere crying and coming back. <laughs> That's probably the funniest moment <laughs> for me looking back. But you know, it's, it's a crime drama thriller. So it has a serious tone. But I, I, I just think that uh, I'm just grateful to be able to make it, so. 
Well, through all of that, you did a great job. So, you know, the, I, I really like the movie uh -oh. um, and I'm hopeful that, that everybody else will too. Now, when people watch the movie, what is the number one thing you want people to feel or get out of watching the movie? You know, whether you like it or don't like it, I hope that the audience gets to feel like the movie is about love and pain. That sometimes, like we talked about earlier, the hands that we were dealt aren't aren't the greatest, and um, you do what you do what you can with it. Now, you might not like the storyline; it could be this or it could be that. That's completely fine, you know. Um, but if you, if it just makes you think a little bit, and, and then you, whether it makes you angry, or makes you sad, or makes you you know hopeful, I, I think that's all. Um, I can, any filmmaker could ask is there's some type of uh, emotion tied tied to watching it versus ambivalence. As we mentioned, All Roads to Perla is available to watch on basically all home video formats, right? Any any yeah. on-demand. Now, is, it's also on uh, DVD and Blu-ray? Yeah, DVD and Blu-ray. You can grab those, those guys. If you still have those machines in there, <laughs> you can grab them on Amazon and, you know, and things like that. And uh, yeah, it's on the streaming platforms. Any final thoughts you want to add about the film? Yeah, you know, again, I'm not one, you know, this is my first feature film. I'm very proud of what we've of accomplished and I'm very thankful for the cast crew and everyone who lend a hand. And there's one thing, um, you always hear like filmmakers complain about time and money. You know, that's everyone's complaint. <laughs> you don't have right, to be right. a filmmaker, you know, you be teacher, fireman, you know, send a parent. <laughs> everyone complains about the same thing. So if you do check it out, thank you. Thank you for your time. You know, thank you for spending hard earned money if you rented or, or any of that. So, and I uh, hope you enjoy it. Excellent. Well, Van, thank you for taking the time to speak with me and all the best to you in the future. Excellent. Great. Thanks for having me. I look forward to doing it again one day. This is Mark Morin with Van Didevong on the 206.com podcast series, New Directions in Film. This is the final episode of the New Directions in Film interview series, although definitely not the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Also, special thank yous to Isabel Sandoval, Bao Tran, Diane Paragas, Nick Nevada, So Yun Um, and Van Didevong for being part of this interview series. All episodes of this interview series, as well as the Diversity in Film series, are always available on the podcast, so feel free to check out any you may have missed or any you want to listen to again. They're all going to be there waiting for you. Coming up next, I'll be posting some flashback interviews from the Seattle International Film Festival, so watch for those during the month of November. And finally, Season 3 of the 206.com interview series is currently in the planning stages, so stay tuned. More details will be coming soon. Please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And if you can spare a couple minutes to leave a review, I'd really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the 206.com podcast. <laughs>